Welcome back, everybody, to the Fenway Rundown Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Cotillo. We're going to talk to Chris Smith, also from Mass Live today, about you know, a busy first week of the offseason for the Red Sox. Everybody is home from Las Vegas. The GM meetings are over, and news is starting to happen. James Paxton is back on a $4 million deal for next year, exercising his player option. Nathan Avaldi declined the qualifying offer. Red Sox added some prospects to the 40-man roster. Non-tender deadlines this week. There's a lot of kind of you know, smaller things going on as the Red Sox start, you know, setting the pace for what should be an incredibly busy winter. We'll get into all of that, some Xander Bogarts rumors and more. So, we thanks as always to Chris Smith for coming in and talking shop with us. And we're going to welcome back in Chris Smith, my co-beat writer at Mass Live. Busy week for the Red Sox this week, actually not the most groundbreaking news you'll ever read about or hear, but uh, some things still getting done uh, after catching up on sleep after a few days in Vegas. Came back to cover the very exciting uh, Rule 5 deadline yesterday and the qualifying offer deadline, as did Chris Smith, and and there was some Red Sox news. So we're just going to use this opportunity to kind of discuss the last week. Um, The Red Sox have made some moves. There's a little bit of clarity on what they're going to do this offseason, and... uh, Obviously, a lot of work still to do. So, Chris, uh, we'll open with this. James Paxton's back. Garrett Whitlock's a member of the rotation. Nathan Avaldi declined his qualifying offer. Xander Bogarts is flirting with a couple of big teams. The non-tender deadline's coming this week. A bunch of little things there. What's your biggest takeaway from really kind of the first week of the hot stove here? Um, you know, pretty pretty much everything went exactly as I thought it would go. I mean, with Xander, obviously, and other things. But, um you know, I guess the biggest takeaway is that Avaldi thinks he can get, you know, more on the open market, I guess, than, you know, $19.65 million for one year. And, um, you know, I don't know, like, you know, he made 20 starts last year. He had two stints on the IL. His velocity went down. So my um, feeling is, is that the Red Sox and him are probably negotiating a, you know, a, a two or three year deal because yeah. – I mean, that makes sense for him because, you know, I mean, if he, if he gives, goes to another team, I mean, you know, his market's going to decrease. Right. If he, and, you know, elsewhere. And the Red Sox, you know, have their arms around the medicals, whatever they are. And, you know, by the end of the year, you know, he felt fully healthy. Obviously, you know, the velocity of the buildup wasn't quite there. Um, so we'll, we'll get more into Evaldi in a second. But I think my biggest takeaway is that, you know, the rotation is starting to come into form. Um, and it's starting to look kind of surprisingly a lot like last year's you know like the same guys in the mix obviously they entered with nick pavetta and brian bayo still there um chris sale is on the roster you don't know what you're going to get from him but he is a guy they expect to be in the mix james paxton opts in you know i think that that is a a big win for the red Sox, just because for four million there's not a lot of risk there you know when that happens somebody with the team texted me we're one and oh you know that's our first win of the offseason getting this guy to opt in pretty happy about that you know going on um and he's you know a high upside arm even if there's you know n- not much certainty there Gare Whitlock's in the rotation uh it sounds like they're trying to bring Evaldi back you still have you know Tanner Houck as an option Winkowski Siebold Crawford maybe Rich Hill comes back I know they're still discussing that like to you does it seem like it's trending in the direction where they just bring the band back together and don't go out and get somebody to really solidify the front end, whether that be a Senga or a Radon or something like that. To me, it feels like there's a little bit of a complacency factor, unless they're just trying to build 
you know, a 10 man rotation full of those options. Right. I, I just, to me, it seems a little bit, you know, too much like we're just going to run it back. I think that would be a mistake. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was funny. Like the last question, I it's a bunch of number, that... number three, no, two and a half to three starters. You know, yeah. there's some, there's upside, but there's, you know, guys that, you know, Pavetta's probably a number four in a good rotation, right? You don't know what you're going to get out of Bayo, Sale, Paxton, Whitlock. So, yeah. I mean, there's interesting arms on the market. You could, you know, I mean, you could get a guy like, uh, you know, I mean, I, I will, I, I would go for Verlander, obviously, just because he's not tied to a qualifying offer. He's going mm-hmm. to be short term. I don't think they're going to do that. Obviously, you just want to, you just want another pitcher on the team that's older than you. Yes, um, and so like, I think they need to go out and do that. Like, I think they need to go out and you know, get somebody that's reliable that they know is going to start thirty games and that's going to you know have an ERA in the threes and yada 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 and. Um, they just don't have that right now. I mean, you cannot rely on Chris Sale. You know, Evaldi's right. had an injury history. Paxton, you just don't know. And the list goes on and on. You know, Pavetta is, is what he is. And, you know, Bayo's still very young. And so there's just too many question marks. I think they mm-hmm. need to go out and get somebody. Do I think they're going to? They'll get somebody. It's just not going to be a one or a two, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, it's just to me, like, even I think pitchers on the team think, like, you know, we need a, a one or a two, that ace. Like, are they banking on Chris Sale to be that ace? Are they banking on Brian Bayo to ascend to ace status this year or Evaldi to go out and be the 2021 version of himself? Like, I think maybe the calculation is that one of those things is going to go super right and it'll work out. But to me, like like you said, there's just, you know, too much risk. And, and we are talking kind of, I've, I've noticed as we've said this, like we're talking as if Evaldi is back in the picture. Now, obviously, to clarify, he's yeah, not, you know. <laughs> He, he he declined the qualifying offer, which I think is a win for the Red Sox in a couple of, of ways, as I tweeted yesterday. Number one, if he signs elsewhere, you get a draft pick for him, which I think is something that, you know, the Red Sox find valuable. That's pretty clear. Um, and number two, a, a guy like that, you got to expect that his market is going to suffer with the attachment of the qualifying offer. Do you think that that lessens the, the level of the offers that come in and, you know, might kind of get rid of some of the competition for the Red Sox? Yeah, and that's what I would be scared of if I was him. Like, you know, so that's why I think that, you know, he's obviously, you know, kind of got a grasp of, or, you know, the Red Sox already offered him, according to reports, they already offered him a multi year contract. So he probably has the idea. I mean, he's always said he wants to come back and stuff and that he enjoys it here in Boston and yada, yada, yada. And so I would think that, you know, he's probably banking on coming back himself and that they mm-hmm. can get a deal done because it, you know, his, his market definitely does shrink significantly um, within tied to that qualifying offer on a team that needs to, you know, give a draft pick up. However, I thought the same thing last year with Eduardo Rodriguez and he right. went off the board very quickly. So. Right. I mean, yeah, that's a good point. But I, I think <laughs> that just the, the, you know, we're starting to see the market, you know, kind of develop a little bit. Tyler Anderson gets three for 39 yesterday from the Angels, which, you know, not a bank-breaking deal. You have to give up a draft pick for him, a guy that's really only had one good year. Um, you know, there there are, you know, some other names. And, and as I reported earlier in the week, you know, the Red Sox, like this is kind of the worst time of year um, for because fans get excited and we put names out there that we're hearing that are linked to the Red Sox. The Red Sox, like every other team, are doing their due diligence on everybody out there two of those names i heard in vegas andrew heaney who had a really good year with the dodgers last year the red sox tried to sign him a year ago and and 
Um, he ended up going to L.A. and having a dominant season. And Seth Lugo, who's a guy who's been with the Mets for a long time in kind of a hybrid role. For the Red Sox, they're a team that really likes versatility with their pitching staff. They like those swingmen types. So he's a guy that, you know, could fit. Probably going to get a multi-year deal somewhere. But, you know, there's really nobody you can rule out. Um, the one guy that there just does not seem to be a lot of Red Sox smoke with, and uh, they did not give him the qualifying offer, which helps his market, but also, you know, probably uh, decreases the chance of a reunion too, is Michael Waka. Um, what was your what were your thoughts on him not getting the QO, and, and why do you think that they made that call? It's interesting because I think Ian Brown reported that they were that was the guy that they were the most interested in retaining, right? Like right. he recently wrote something on that, like you know that he was surprised because you know Valdi in his track record here. But so I thought it could go go either way on the qualifying offer right. with him. I Can guess I, they as just we said as we said on, not it. to not to cut you off again, but like as we had said on here time and time again it didn't seem like they were going to do it with both guys because the risk of having both of them accept at 20 million a year all of a sudden you're paying 40 million a year for those two and that's that's i would say too big of a gamble um so they decided we got to pick one or the other i bet yeah i mean you know like obviously when you look at michael walker is he worth 19.65 million for one year right i mean that would be an overpay Mm -hmm. um and so like you know you look at it and you say well you know you you try to re-sign him if not you know you get somebody equivalent that you know right. was the michael walker of last year right 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 and a good job by them signing him for one year seven million and getting a lot out of him at that price right i mean that's that's a win even if it was a one-year win on a bad team um it just seems like he's the type of guy that you know a bad team is going to overpay on looking at some of the advanced things from last year and being like, Oh, the Red Sox unlocked something. And now we're going to you know, give the multi-year deal. The other thing, and I've heard this from a few different places is that walk is not the type of guy that wants another one year deal. He's been going year to year for the last three or four years, right? He bounced between the Met after a long time with the Cardinals, went to the Mets, then the Rays then the Red Sox. He's one year kind of low value deals. He's the type of guy that he was going to want a three or four year deal are the Red Sox willing to make that commitment? It seems like kind of barring a surprise, not really. You know, things have been pretty quiet on him. Yeah, I would say so too. I mean, I, I just don't see it. Like, you know, three or four-year deal with him, I just don't see it. And, and you make a good point about like, you know, teams are – there's going to be a team that overvalues him now. But, you know, coming off the year, you know, something that they tapped into, yada, yada, yada. But also, like, he's not attached to the qualifying offer. So, you know, right. he could – very well do it he could do very well for agency here right and that if we're guessing you know seems like elsewhere uh, i just want to get your thoughts quickly on on the paxton and the whitlock news that happened last week paxton i think it was a little surprising to a lot of people that he came back uh, on that four million dollar um option and then whitlock the red sox finally 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 after you know two plus years of this deciding that he is going to be a full-time starter next year yeah well with paxton the first thing that comes to mind is like you know why would he take four million dollars when he could you know potentially uh, you would think that he would be able to get more of that on the open market however he hasn't pitched really in three years right mm -hmm. is it three years yeah two like years tw 20 something innings in three years yeah so it's like okay well maybe he wouldn't have gotten that however you also have to think like you know there was that report by the galaxy Spear that you know he went to boston and they checked out his arm and everything um mm -hmm. you know before the red sox made the decision on their half of the mutual option and right I mean, I, I, he's, they say he's healthy. 
Um, but maybe there was a little concern there. And then, you know, he's looking at it and he's thinking, you know, so I don't know. I don't know the situation. That's speculation, obviously. But right. like, you and know, fair wh- speculation. Wh- well, like, why? Why did he accept that four million? I guess, you know, as Kapoor said, you know, there's comfort level and he could have gotten mm-hmm. more elsewhere. But, you know, the comfort level is just, you know, I mean, he's only been in Boston one year and he didn't pitch. So, like, you know, he could be comfortable <laughs> right. with another team. <laughs> Yeah, it's well, not like he spent like the last ten years in Boston. As Scott Boris said to us in Vegas, uh, sometimes it's better off just taking the six pack than searching the store for the champagne. Yes, which is interesting uh, and one of his his many puns. And Whitlock, cool. your thoughts yeah, on him? Yeah, I mean, I think that they just look at Whitlock and his value long term, and you know they feel like you know he's got the stuff to be a starter and yeah. an effective starter, um, and you know they feel like he'll be more valuable in that role. Um, you know, pitching 160, 170 innings as opposed to coming out of the bullpen and throwing, you know, 70 innings a year. And so I think they're just looking at it that way. They think they have, you know, obviously starters are more valuable than relievers, but we've seen what Whitlock can do as a reliever. And you're like, wow, oh, that's really valuable. It was more mm-hmm. valuable. You know, you look at it and it's more valuable than him being as a starter last year. However, last year he wasn't built up exactly they kind of you know messed around with it so that you know they didn't make him a start immediately coming out of spring training and then they you know he's starting by mid-april and he could only go a couple innings and then he was only built up to like what four or five innings right and so like you know at that point you're getting a guy that like you know i mean every five days four or five innings when you could have him value you know more innings out of the bullpen yada yada but like I just feel like they like long term he is more valuable there, and I think you probably disagree with me just because he's been so dominant out of the bullpen. But yeah, well, I I wrote so many times last year and talked about it on here so many times last year that like I think he's better in the bullpen for the 2022 Red Sox because of the way the team was structured, and there were a lot of people in the organization that agree with that. I think it was a debate that was kind of raging throughout the season. Now, like I can't criticize them for putting him in the rotation. But they better go get that relief help. Like, they better go get, you know, a very good arm. And, and we've seen some of them come off the board here early. Edwin Diaz, my guy that I wanted them to get, five years, $102 million to the Mets. That wasn't <laughs> going to happen. Rafael Montero, a guy that, you know, ends up signing for three years, $35 million, half with Houston. Uh, apparently, Jim Crane negotiated that deal on his own. So, of course, it was an overpay. Um, and then, you know, you've seen... Nick Martinez and Suarez come off the board going to the Padres. So, like, you're seeing these guys start to move a little bit. Um, the Red Sox, you know, not getting any of those deals done. They need to go get somebody in the bullpen. If they, you know, add that back-end help, it'll make me feel a lot better about Whitlock moving to the rotation. So I'm going to say that we can't really judge that one until we see what the bullpen structure is like. Now, the next thing we'll talk about is something that yesterday you uh, – Big Smitty scoop, you know, uh, it was a big Smitty scoop. The uh, five guys, the Red Sox added to the 40 man roster. Um, You know, this is something that you can file under good problems to have. If you're the Red Sox that you need to create room on your 40 man roster to protect rule five eligible players. These are guys that they view as, you know, people that are important enough to put on the major league roster, despite having no experience. I think it's a very interesting group. uh, The Red Sox added yesterday. Uh, Sedan Raffaella, Brandon Walter, Chris Murphy, David Hamilton, Willier Abreu, and then obviously Emmanuel Valdez, who they added last week. Basically the same thing. They just needed to do it a little earlier 
for him because he was going to avoid minor league free agency. So some takeaways here for me, and you know these guys, someone who covers the minors a little closer than I do, uh, better than me. But the takeaways here are three of those six guys were acquired in trades in the last year. Valdez and Abreu came over in the Vasquez deal. And uh, David Hamilton came over in the Hunter Renfro, Jackie Bradley, ill-fated deal. Um, and then two of those guys are really kind of fast-rising prospects and Walter and Rafaela. Your takeaways from those names getting added, any super surprises? Um, obviously, I think, you know, we expected Rafaela, Walter, and Murphy. Um, but I think maybe on the back end, some surprising news there. Yeah, I mean, like Hamilton is a guy that, you know, he didn't really do much with the bat this year. Um, you know, his slugging percentage was way down, although he, he did finish the year pretty strong. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at the 70 stolen bases, that was a Portland record, and his speed is, you know, unreal. And obviously the game is going in that direction. And you know, I wrote about it towards the end of the year where base stealing is going to be more valued, um, you know, because of the larger bases, because of the pitch clock stepping off the mound, different things like that. Uh you know, so a guy like Hamilton, you know, and they they actually added some guys in, you know, uh, the hospital trade even. Like, you know, right. that they were a speedy guys. And so, and, you know, Abreu actually stole, I think, 30-something bases in the minors. Um, and so it's like, well, you know, but great that he can steal. Can he get on, though? And, like, you know, and um, – but that 26-man – with the ability to have speed might be more valuable now going forward. Uh, Abreu is an interesting one too. I mean, they obviously, you know, when they traded for him that they probably felt like, you know, that, that needs to get done and the, mm-hmm. they would put him on there. Um, 399 on, on base percent is really good. He was one of five minor leaguers, you know, the entire minor leagues, um, all levels um, to walk over a hundred times this year. Uh, you know, he walked 114 times, I think it was second or hundred and whatever. It was second though in, uh, in the minor leagues and walks. And so he takes a bunch of walks, but he also strikes out a bit. And so like, you know, he has power ability and he's, but he strikes out a lot. He walks a lot. So there's, you know, he's got the speed. So there's interesting things about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just hope that the development will go in that right direction with him. And, you know, he could be, uh, you know, potentially a good fourth outfielder someday. And so um, those two are the more interesting ones to me. I mean, I think, you know, everybody knew Raffaella was going to be on there. Uh, Walter seemed like a pretty good lock just because of, right. you know, I mean, just insane, like, control of three pitches. And, like, you know, I mean, he went his first four starts at Portland this past year I think it was 29 strikeouts and zero walks. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, like the strikeout to walk ratio is, is unreal. And well, that's not even, that's, that's an, that's an impossible number, right? The ratio to zero. Well, I mean, to the but he did there. eventually right. have walks yeah. though. <laughs> We're going to get into like advanced, um, like pre-calc yes. here. Yeah. But he did eventually give up some walks mm-hmm. this year, but he only, you know, he only started 11 games this past year. He is older guy, 26, you know, yeah. and like Watch he it. came out of kind of nowhere and, um, you know, he's a late draft pick that, you know, showed his potential, you know, second and third year or whatever. So, uh, 
it's he's an interesting guy. I would have liked to have seen him throw more than eleven starts this past year, especially with just the two starts in right. in Worcester. Um, who's the other guy? <laughs> I think Murphy. we got them all right. Oh, Murphy. Murphy. Yeah, I think you know Murphy's interesting just because his numbers tailed off a little bit when he went to Worcester, but they really like him. Um, you know, I think that he could be a guy that you know is a guy that can do both. You know, relieve and start. You know, and be valuable you know, um, multiple ways, but, uh, you know, he's the guy that they, that was actually somebody that Alex core mentioned like immediately without being, um, you know, asked about Murphy. Like when we were down in mm-hmm. my early camp last year, you know, you were like, Oh, who's popped out to you. And, you know, he said, Chris, I really like his fastball. And it's, you know, it's an interesting fastball because it's not like overpowering, but it rises up and, you know, he throws it up in the zone and it's got, you know, action to it. So, um, you know, he's a left-hander and he's a very interesting guy. Like that he has a lot of potential. And I think people saw that potential immediately, you know, when he was drafted. So um, I have no like issues. I mean, I, I'm a little surprised that Thad Ward. Was yeah. That's what I was going to ask you next. Ward. But like, um, you know, you think he I guess, picked? you know, I don't know. I think he probably does, but like, you know, it's funny. Like the, the Sox prospects guys were saying his velocity was down a little bit in the Arizona Fall League. It's not like he was never an overpowering velocity guy, right? Like, I think his velocity is like 92, 93. I mean, he's made like 50-something starts in the minors, and he has an ERA like in low twos or something or mid twos. Mm-hmm. And like, so he is effective. He gets he gets the job done. Um, is he is he like a steal like somebody will find with the way that the Red Sox got Whitlock? I don't know because I don't know how Similar his, path. Yeah, it, that's true. Um, but Whitlock throws harder. And, you know, Whitlock's probably got better stuff. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's a little bit of a, a surprise to me, like a guy like um, um, Politi, um, you know, the, the reliever, A.J. Politi. Yeah. You know, like his stuff was really good this year, and he throws hard. And it's like I think that, you know, I was – I think that – there are some people surprised that he didn't get a chance with, you know, Franklin Ramon, you know, mm-hmm. down the stretch. And so those are two guys. I had to see what they had of, out of Ryan Brazier. So, so, yeah. So I think like, you know, those two guys will, are probably the two that would get the most attention. Then there's some other level guys like Paulino and, you know, Gonzalez, like Paulino's a really good prospect. Um, and, you know, he's, he plays, you know, outfield, infield, he, I think he had the third most extra base hits in the Red Sox minor league system this year. However, he's only played at low A, so you can mm-hmm. take the chance, and you know, a team's probably not going to draft him knowing that they have to keep him on their roster for the entire year or their right. active roster, and he hasn't played about the low A. That just is impossible. Like, it's really hard to do. And Same with – what? how do you pronounce his name? Wilkman? Wickleman. Wickleman. Wickleman? Yeah. There's no L on the front, yeah. Yes, there is no L. Yeah, um, which people thought there were for what thought there was for a while. There is not. You heard it here on the Fenway Rundown first. And then there's that other shortstop that's interesting. Uh, Brainer, Ganache, Brainer, Brainer. Yeah. Um, you in, you write these names all the time and somehow can't say them still. Yeah, well, it's uh, I'm a better writer than a talker, as we've established. Yeah, on it's, this a low bar. it's a low bar. It's a low bar. Yeah, so I think like with hit, like you know. He's obviously got a lot of potential, but, you know, 
Um, he, you know, like Gonzalez has only made four starts at high A and, you know, um, Brainer is only played at low A. So like those guys are guys that you feel like you can, you know, wait another year and then maybe have, you know, protect them next year if they've have good years. So like, I, I think that they made good decisions. Um, Hamilton was a little like, you know, I, I look at Hamilton and I'm like, you know, what's the chances of him what's the chances of him getting picked in a rule five draft based on the season that he had you know in terms of average power mm-hmm. on base percentage he really only has speed so is Hyde just doing this you know because <laughs> he caught him in a in a trade that was an unsuccessful trade and if he loses it if he actually does lose him then the trade's gonna look a lot worse yeah i mean that's a good thought i also think that we're about to see rule changes that change the running game unlike anything we've seen before maybe those guys are going to be super valued and maybe they thought knowing that and the maybe the level of trade interest in them knowing that that you know that they thought they, it was worth you know protecting him but i think that chris hatfield put it best on twitter yesterday you can't steal first yeah that's true however you can that. swing at a pitch way out of the strike zone let it go to the backstop and take first base on third on straight three yeah, well, we saw Jaron Duran not be able to steal first this year. Um, and, and so maybe Hamilton kind of in that similar vein. We'll get to, you know, yesterday uh, they needed to clear two 40-man roster spots. They have cleared 40-man roster spots with um, really small moves, I think, so far this winter. Abraham Almonte, your friend, your dear friend Edward Bizardo, who you've liked for a long time, and then, uh, you know, the the three guys. Easton McGee, Jake Reed, Caleb Hamilton. Um, Jake I wrote. Jake Reed was on the Bradfoe show, wasn't that's he? That's true. Big, yeah, we didn't have him interview. here. Uh, I wrote a who, meet the new Red Sox piece in October where I talked about you know what McGee, Reed, and Hamilton could all add to the organization moving forward. Now, of course, a month later, they're all off the roster. Thank you, Heim, for that. What a waste of an hour of my time. Um, but the Red Sox are kind of in a way now out of those churnable spots. I don't know if churnable is a word, but you know what I mean? Of like those back end guys. And so with the, with the non-tender deadline coming up on Friday, uh, the, you know, quick turnaround an earlier non-tender deadline than um, in previous years, there are some guys that I think could get moved off that roster. And um, you know, I wrote about them yesterday, but we'll, we'll, we'll just kind of go through some of them quickly the Red Sox are looking at options about non-tendering Franchi Cordero, as I wrote yesterday. That is a, a distinct possibility. Obviously, they like the tools. They like uh, the makeup, but, you know, just the production has not been there. I think he's a guy that could easily get non-tendered on Friday. They probably would have interest in bringing him back on a non-roster deal. Um, and then there's the other guys. A lot of, you know, Yu Chang is one I think could easily get moved or, or non-tendered. Um and then there's there's the bullpen guys that are much more interesting to me. Darwin Hernandez, Ryan Brazier, Josh Taylor. Obviously, Darwinson was hurt for a lot of last year and then in AAA and was horrendous in the majors. Josh Taylor didn't pitch at all with the back injury, and Ryan Brazier was ineffective. Interestingly, last week, Brian O'Halloran talking to us in Vegas, talking about the makeup of, of the bullpen next year, mentioned Brazier by name as a guy they're going to have moving forward. So that made me think, like, oh, the you know here's maybe the eighth or ninth life of this cat um but oh oh, halloran said that to you he did yeah yeah i i uh i'd forgotten about it and chad jennings wrote it yesterday but yes he included him in the mix which could have just been you know just been you know naming the guys who are currently on the roster but 
Frazier's due to earn two point three million, which I think is a bit of an overpay. You know, there's just like at a certain point you get to cut bait. You know, and those three guys I think are all candidates to get non tendered by Friday. As you look at the non tender list, those guys, any other surprises? Anybody you know come up to um, in your mind as guys that you think will be let go by you know Friday evening? Yeah, no, I don't think so. Just those guys right there. But like you know, you you look at Brazier and Brazier. Um, I'm just looking it up now here. So between 2019 and 2022, when he was, you know, obviously really good in 2018, but between 2019 and 2022, he has a 4.82 ERA. And, you know, so like he's been not even that average at best as a reliever, you know, he's really been not that great. And he has gotten 20 lives. Um, And he is also one of the people that, inspired me really not to use FIP in <laughs> in in my Cy Young voting as much this year because like you know like I just his FIP you know was like good last year you know like I mean not great but like 3.61 but when you look at the eye test say you know oh he was not good so um no, they, yeah I think that I, very would, hard. I don't think like Taylor's a guy that with the potential that he has, I mean, he was one of their better relievers in 2021. Mm-hmm. He was one of their better relievers in 2019. So it's like, what's the projected arbitration? Like 1.1. I just don't see why that wouldn't be worth it, especially when you can, you know, cut ties before opening day or, or some, at some point in spring right. training, right. And not have to pay it. So I, I just don't, I just don't see why that I, I look at Taylor as somebody they're probably going to bring back. Darwinson. Oh, they're going to t- tender. Darwinson is he? A, he's not a tender guy. He you, any pre-arbitration guy you can. Well, yeah, pre-arbit. That's true. Yes. Um. Yeah. I mean, I just like he's just the guy that's at the end of the roster right now and a candidate to be DFA'd anyway. If like, you know, he's um, you know, if they sign it for Asian or something, just this just hasn't happened with him. Like, you know, his command is just not good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can. It's basically it. (laughs) You know, like you can, you can have his good. He can have his, uh, you know, stuff that, like, oh, the spin rate and all this and all that and the velocity. But if you can't get out, you can't get out, and he hasn't gotten outs. And it's two pitches. I would not be surprised to see him DFA'd. And and this topic, a couple other guys that I think are, you know, getting toward the back end of the roster. uh, But I think it's probably too early to cut ties. Dahlbeck, Duran, and Downs, those are three big names who had a lot of potential. Obviously, they did not make the most of their opportunities. You don't expect any of those guys to be, you know, non-tendered, obviously, right? No, but, like, you know, uh, possible trade candidates, although they're very low value right now coming off the years that they had. Like, you could have gotten a lot more for, you know, Duran, say, you know, after his, you know, at the trade demo or whenever he was really – playing well this year um, and, and know, back a year ago. like la- last year you would have gotten way more for him last offseason mm-hmm. so like you know at this point what would he be the equivalent of like getting in return austin davis for michael chavis yeah i mean you know so that's that's what you would get so do you feel like you can you know bring him back and he can be more valuable valuable to you than getting that kind of a reliever for him or do you just cut ties now like that's Kind of the decisions you have to make if you're if you're hard. Mm-hmm. And those, you know, not necessarily yet. I think they still have uh, a, a little bit of time to well, do yeah. those. Um, and and I don't. I mean, think he those, can those obviously are... 
he can obviously be in the year in Worcester. So right, right. Um, all three of them can, right? Yeah. Um, we'll end with we have not talked about Alexander Bogarts to this point, uh, which is interesting because he's obviously the topic of the day every single day around here. Uh, there are rumors about some big market teams interested in Xander. John Heyman's reported that the Phillies and Dave Dombrowski are involved. He reported uh, in the last 24 hours or so that Brian Cashman is looking at the shortstop class as a fallback option in case Aaron Judge goes elsewhere. So there is a little bit of Xander Bogart's Yankees smoke, which Red Sox fans do not want to read or click on or think about on Twitter today. Um, it is this point in the year, we've said it time and time again, if a guy hits free agency, he's going to test his options, whether it's those two teams, the Cubs, the Giants, the Dodgers, the Twins, if Correa goes elsewhere, maybe the Braves. Um, you know, once you can see that the grass might be greener other in another place, you know, there is always that risk. As a Red Sox player put it to me this week, they might find out that letting Xander see what's out there ends up being a mistake. Um, as you look at at least just the two teams that have surfaced this week in, in Philadelphia and the Yankees, my takeaway is that the Yankees are still, you know, going to push for judge perfect world. They get that done. And then if not, maybe they pivot to the shortstops, but I view the Phillies and Dave Dombrowski as a legitimate threat here. Yeah. I mean, and if you look at Dave Dombrowski's history, he likes players that he's familiar with. I mean, he yep. traded for Miguel Cabrera. He, you know, after he had David Price in Detroit for a bit, you know, he signed him when he was with the Red Sox. He signed JD Martinez with the Red Sox. And so He's a guy that is Ian Kinsler at the trade deadline. Don't forget it. Ian Kinsler. So he's a guy that historically, like, you know, if he has a player that he feels like he likes a lot, then he'll go out and get him. And obviously he likes Xander Bogarts a lot. And so um, the thing with this market is just like, I think that this, you know, like the Red Sox are probably going to wait back and see if Bogarts can get the money that he thinks he can. And, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I think they're going to wait it out. It's going to be the, the waiting game. And they're either going in, you know, they're either going to match or he's not going to get it. And they're, you know, he's going to, they're going to negotiate a contract that's, you know, works for both sides in a way, or the, he's going to get blown out of the water by like Philly and they're just not going to resign him because mm -hmm. of that. You and know, then, so I, and then they start, that's, and I'm hearing the, entr the entrance music. Nope. The entrance music for Carlos Correa is starting to blare. Yeah. That. I mean, look at Carlos Correa makes perfect sense because, you know, like young, um, you know, uh, you know, defensive ability, especially with other shifts now, second base and shortstop are going to be so much more important athleticism. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's not attached to the qualifying offer. So basically you're only spending money. And so I just don't see why they wouldn't, uh, you know, pursue – Carlos Correa, in addition to, to, you know, like, you know, deal or negotiating with, with Bogarts, like seeing right. which, you know, like who's the better fit, you know, because they're both, they will both be good fits and, and yeah. Correa might actually be the better fit. And that the thing I'll end with uh, at least is, is that I think that's a slippery slope because you're talking to Scott Boris about both guys and like, it's true. That's, you can't really kind of hold your cards close to the vest. If you have Bogarts and, Correa being represented by the same guy and like Scott's going to know exactly how the Red Sox feel the pecking order and he's going to be honest with his clients about those things too so the Red Sox 
you know, really want Correa, you know, secretly, and they're fine letting Bogarts walk, Bogarts is going to know that because they're, you know, they're not negotiating with two different agents. It's a very interesting kind of subplot to this winter, which has a lot of them, uh, as we've been covering at Mass Life. Make sure you check out the site for all the latest on the Red Sox and uh, check back with us at the Fenway Rundown for more.